Hey, Don, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Angela, thanks so much for having me. Yes, and Don, please tell us, uh, you know, we always have a, a quick discussion before we, we jump on the podcast, and I'm really excited for all the work that you're doing at Just Capital and the work, you're, the impact and the work you're doing for the world. So would love to hear more about you, uh, who you are, what you do, and that impact that you're looking to make on the world. What is it? Yeah, awesome. So yeah, I'm the founder of Just Capital Quotient. Just Capital is another uh, an another entity. We are Just Capital Quotient. And uh, my work comes out of 30 years of working in international relief and development and uh, coming to understand that really the economy is something that has to be changed if the world is going to be changed, that charity, mm -hmm. uh, the best of charity still lives off of the real economy. Uh, it's kind of a, it, it, it lives off the, the economy as a host and the host itself needs to be transformed. And that's where, um, you know, the spirit of charity, uh, the desire to uh, serve others and to lift up communities, uh, the, the, the social imperative that comes from charity really needs to infect the overall economy. Um, and so that's where my passion lies. And that's what we do at Just Capital Quotient is uh, invest in businesses that are making a difference and then help uh, U.S. businesses that want to make a an impact make a better one. So what kind of impact do I want to make? I want to see a new economy emerge. I want to see an economy mm. that is life-giving for people and planet that take that gives back more to people and planet than it takes. Uh, I want to see us leave a legacy of a uh, of a, a new economy that is regenerative and life-giving. That's the impact I seek. Oh, yeah, I, I love that. And I would love to hear more about what that vision looks like for you. But for those who are not, I guess, in the space of, you know, finance or business or, you know, are keeping up with the economy, what would you say the current state is today? And why do you think it is so taking versus giving? I mean, I think I think the nature of capitalism itself uh, has been structured, especially since the 1970s the kind of shareholder capitalism, uh, the uh, Milton Friedman school uh, that, you know, the only the, the only obligation of business is to make a profit for the shareholder. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole life of capitalism has had its rapacious side. Um, but since the, the 70s, uh, that has become and with with the end of communism as a even as a theoretical alternative, mm. we have a type. We have a, a type of ascendant capitalism that is dehumanizing. It is extractive. It is colonial, and there's no way around it as being a, a death-dealing force in the world. So it is either healed, it is either transformed, um, or we pay the consequences as we are and as mm. our children will even more so. So I think it's the, I think it is the common telos, the end point of all humans today is to see our political social arrangements change in such a way that they can be life-giving. And are there any examples of economies that are closer to your vision today? I mean, help, help paint a picture for us as to what this future state or this change could look like. 
Yeah, um, Charles Eisenstein, who does a lot of writing and research on this topic, talks about gift economies and you know, having traveled and I just came back from uh, Honduras and we were up mm -hmm. in the mountains of, uh, of Honduras looking at agricultural communities where gift economies once existed and have broken down. Um, but, you know, here I'm, I'm currently at my dad's farm in southern Ohio and you know, local small farming communities were once much more based on gift as opposed to commodification. So I think, I think there are, are memories of it uh, all over the place, both in indigenous contexts, but even in more simple rural contexts. What more excites me, because we really can't completely go back, are the examples on the horizon now of uh, regenerative approaches mm. to economics. So just yesterday, we entertained uh, a pitch from a company uh, in the Midwest called uh, Tree Range Farms, which is a bringing indigenous practices of land management into chicken farming. And it's very mm. much capitalist trying to make money, but it's also highly uh, attuned to ancient ways of uh, seeing the energy in land and in, and in the life-giving forces in land and what that land can give, in this case, to chickens who then give us life. So I, what really excites me is a more emergent future in which the best of capitalism, the best of science, uh, begins to reappreciate what has been lost in um, ancient wisdom traditions mm. and begins to help us imagine a new way of our uh, conducting our social arrangements. Yeah, and what I love about this is, uh, to your point, I think it's getting back to basics in a lot of ways, uh, getting back to the human condition, the best parts of it, um, mm -hmm. and also this breakdown of, of power um, where partnership is more prevalent. And I talk a lot about that from a workplace perspective, right? Where mm -hmm. we see the employer-employee relationship changing, just like some of the relationships you're talking about between land and food and people and how that becomes more regenerative, where, you know, we are trying to to give and to get together uh, in a partnership versus somebody is overseeing or overpowering to to get something or to take something. And so that's a huge shift in philosophy for this country. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I think uh, power and how it's used, how it's abused, how it's misunderstood, um, that is uh, central to this conversation, absolutely. Mm. So tell us more about Just Capital Quotient. And I apologize for uh, missing the quotient there in the beginning, but you are doing some great work around this with your company. And I'm sure you're, that's impacting and creating a ripple effect within other businesses. But tell us more about what you're doing and how it's contributing to this new, this new vision. Yeah. Well, we have two, um, two arms. We have a, a, an investment vehicle. Uh, and so, you know, for your listeners, if you have a business that's up and coming that needs capital, um, we don't have loads of it lying around to hand out like chiclets. But um, <laughs> what we do have, we like to look together at um, what opportunities are there. Uh, and we are we are a club. So it's it's a very interesting model and people are getting a lot of life out of just the community gathering around, mm -hmm. taking seriously our part in the new economy. Uh, and, you know, we've invested in um, uh, 
a business called the Halo app, which is seeking to take on the uh, payday lending industry and to provide access to people mm -hmm. who fall prey to predatory, predatory lending, uh, a different mode of peer-to-peer -peer lending. That's an awesome business. Uh, Quantum Mental Health, providing psychedelic-assisted uh, mental health therapy to the underinsured. That's amazing. It's a Denver-based mm -hmm. company. Uh, and then, believe it or not, a, a mining company in Rwanda uh, called uh, Power Resources International. Um, this cell phone of mine has uh, tantalum, which is literally ah. the rarest stable earth mineral in the solar system. It's highly sought after, and it's being taken from Africa, and the value add mm. is being made by Americans and Chinese and Canadians. And uh, this company is the very first uh, refinery in uh, on the African continent and it will basically be a game changer because it will bring uh, Rwandese into the process of all that is required in the technology of cell phone and uh, biomedical and uh, other other uh, technical um, technology development so we get to do those kinds of things. So that's the investment arm. And we love to hear mm -hmm. uh, pitches from great businesses that are solving problems. On the other side is our consulting, our impact and sustainability consulting for businesses currently all in the US. And that has proven to be surprising and, the, and for me now the most interesting because I'm a pastor and a theologian. That's my background. Mm -hmm. I really have no business being in business, but that's where <laughs> I found myself. And what I'm finding is that people are desperately hungry for reintegrated life. They might mm -hmm. even be people of faith, but they don't know really how their faith interplays into their business life. Or they might have a, they might be socially, social justice minded, but don't always know how that relates to well, what do you actually you often see in the social justice space is people that become depleted. You know, they're so mm. pressured by injustice and the ravages of this capitalist system and so angered by it that they deplete their, their life power uh, to, mm. to be able to stay in the struggle. And so the integration of the self, the rediscovery of the self, uh, as a as as a divine being, as a as a, you know, we we don't lean on any particular creedal or faith tradition, but you probably have to have faith that that you're more than what you see. Mm. You know, that there's an mm -hmm. underneath of things. That there's a a flow of energy and power uh, that we can tap into. Um, I'll give you an example that I've been using with my clients lately. I was recently at Detroit Airport. And I was on my way to another terminal, and someone was clearly late for their flight. And they're, they're running towards mm. me while I'm coming down the escalator. They're running to my down escalator. And this poor woman, not so desperate, she jumps on the down escalator. And, and even when she realizes she's on the down escalator, she just bears down and just tries to work harder. But with all her might, she's not moving anywhere. And I thought mm. that was such an analogy of some people make it up and then we write books and they write books about how I climbed the down, how I climbed the up escalator. Really, there is a life force. There is an energy in this world that we can align ourselves with. And so 
a lot of our work is really on that spiritual mindset, the, the work that you do in culture change. Like, mm. how can the first step to culture change is the change of the self and, and, mm-hmm. and anchoring the self within that which is irreducible, the, irre- the irreducible self. Who are you really? And, mm. and why did the universe bring you here? And can you go with that energy? And can you find where that energy leads you to the impact you were designed to make? A flower has an mm-hmm. impact it was designed to make. It, it pollinates. Well, what, mm-hmm. you know, as Jesus said, are you not more important than the flowers? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so what is yours to make? Yes. So a lot of the work that I do in um, impact and sustainability is to help business leaders feel the freedom and the value to rediscover themselves as a force for good. Mm-hmm. And then to align that um, with their the desire for their business to make an impact. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about, and you know, it has many different names, but I think what's been popping up the most is purpose. Mm, and yeah. you know, what why do we exist? And as a business owner, you have kind of this multi-dimensional manifestation of that through your business because you have a platform that you've developed you've developed another entity that is uh is executing on your purpose and Mm -hmm. to your point i think it's really really important for organizations and leaders entrepreneurs founders to understand what is that purpose and to constantly reconnect with that because i do think we've lost we we lose our way a lot of the times right we start a business for a reason for a purpose and you hire a big team and it does really well. And you we kind of go back to the way the system was designed within this country, which is focusing on capitalism and shareholders and profits. And um, all those things are important. But how does one, so when you're doing this consulting, how do you discover, explore that shift mm-hmm. with the business owner or the founder? Well, we have... You know, I, I tried to think about how that has happened for me as a 55-year-old man who's been involved in the process of trying to make an impact, you know. Mm-hmm. One thing I've realized is that there's a gap between the desire to make an impact and the capacity to make an impact. So I'm very interested in that nexus of knowledge that exists between the desire to do good and the capacity to actually do good. Even the charities that I've worked for or around you know, the best marketing wins because the actual change that's sustainable at the local level is always less than what you hear mm-hmm. being marketed. And what I'm really interested mm. is how, what are those dynamics of transformation? And borrowing from integral theory, I won't, I only mention that so you, I can cite where it comes from, but we really work on these three simple ideas of wake up, grow up, and show up. You know, mm. So, so the wake up Love is it. wake up to yourself and the world. You know, do you, and the people with the most power, it's in their interest to stay asleep, <laughs> because mm. if the structure and the system is benefiting you, why do you want to wake up to it? You might be held accountable for it. And mm. some people, even worse than wake up, they just build structures of justification. As a theologian, I actually know that one of the reasons we go to church is to get justified in who we are, mm. as opposed to a, what should be as a path of liberation. Mm. Instead of being a path of liberation, it's a structure of justification. So waking up is first waking up to yourself and then waking up to the world that you live in. Growing up 
is sort of technically about stages of growth and, and adult development. You know, when you start out, it's all about me. And then as you grow older, it becomes maybe, hopefully, about us. But you know, that us can be very selfish. My family, my community, my gated community, my country. Mm. Um, ultimately, full adult human development is we move from me to us to all of us, and even all of us and everything. So who are you within the political economy of where you live? And who are you within the life systems that of which you are part in um, in uh, the biosphere? You know, can you really wake up to where you are and begin to grow up in your consciousness of your connectivity to others? And then ultimately, can you show up? Can you can you bring your power? And we we try not. People often like, no, I don't want to talk about power. Well, wait a minute. You don't want to talk about power because you don't want to admit that when you walk in the room, people act differently because you've got the money. You better own the fact that you have power because then you will be responsible for how you exercise power. Um, just because I'm a theologian, I have to do this. There's this amazing time in the Jewish tradition in which the Queen of Sheba, an African queen, hears about what's happened in Jerusalem under Solomon. And it's so amazing that people who were once slaves are now mm. the leader of a great nation. And so this African queen hears about it and she makes this pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem to meet Solomon. And she sees what he's done with this kingdom and it's amazing. And so she says, I know why this has happened. Because of all people, you, a former slave, you will use this power to uphold justice and righteousness. And justice is really finding out what belongs to whom and giving it back. And righteousness is just about right living with people and planet and environment. Unfortunately, in that case, right before that story, the text says, and here is a list of the forced labor Solomon used to build his, temp build his house uh. and temple. And we American churches read right over that. But when a slave uses slavery for his economy, we're in, we're in trouble. It's kind of like when an, a nation of immigrants start talking about putting up a wall to keep out immigrants. When that kind of thing starts happening, man, the, the, the writing is on the wall, so to, so to speak. And so the, the need to find justice and righteousness there is essential for the health of the economy and people in the planet. Yeah, and it, it goes back to the regenerative part. Um, I think what you're talking about is the opposite of regenerative. I don't know what the opposite of that is, but just destruction, compounded destruction, maybe. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, and I don't know if you experience this in your work, but, you know, I work with a lot of leaders who come to me and say, I want to change culture within my organization, uh, you know, all the buzzwords, right? DE&I, uh, innovation. I want, I want to accomplish all of these things, but my people, my people, they just can't get there. And you're kind of looking at them like, well, have you done the work? <laughs> and, you know, are you truly committed? And that's probably the, the biggest barrier to change within organizations and society. So, do you find that there is a lot of kind of performative or saviorism in this work? 
And how do how do we get past that? And can't we get past that? Yeah. One of my favorite uh, scholars today is, is a man named Slavoj Žižek, a, a Slovenian Marxist, actually. And he has this phrase that has stuck with me that is, um, virtue begins in hypocrisy. In, in other mm -hmm. words, one, you, you, we begin hearing the discussions about all of these things, sustainability, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and they're often bandied about and, and they're kind of virtue signals and, but, and then people get cynical about them. But they're also, I think, the beginning of culture change. You know, you, mm -hmm. what, what someone is being hypocritical about, someone else may start taking seriously. And then, you know, then somebody else starting to take it seriously and someone beginning to build a case study. And then someone's actually seeing a thriving business, a business that's getting ahead, that's competing on its impact, that's kind of out loving the world. And so people are choosing that business or investors are putting money into that business and they're talking about this stuff. So what was once hypocrisy starts to become virtue. And I say, I, don't, I just don't, anytime someone starts talking about what is life giving, let's celebrate it and let's sort of encourage it. And, um, you know, where, where do we see those signs of life? One of the great joys for me has been, you know, here in the Midwest, working with often white, male, cisgender, uh, middle age, you know, the walking privilege. But when you actually find, when you actually get to know a human being, you find that they care about the environment. You know, one question that we ask is, what do you love most about the, the, your favorite place to recharge? It doesn't matter who you voted for or what your stance is. At the end of the day, you want to leave a better environment than you found. You want that. And so mm -hmm. I think uh, finding the common uh, pursuit of virtue within all of us and celebrating it and encouraging it. At least that's been my approach. And I find it, it, it gives me joy in seeing that uh, culture uh, change happening, even in places where it might, you might at the beginning think that's the last group of people that's gonna, that are gonna care about this or that. Hmm. Yeah, and you um, talk about this work as a, a differentiator. And so, uh, I think that's a really important conversation because a lot of this can sound, um, you know, to some people who are really focused on a capitalistic economy, like what's the bottom line, right? What are my KPIs? What, what's the, what are the results? So tell us a little bit more about why this is actually turning into and, and has been a differentiator probably for, for a long time mm. and how businesses can rethink their, their scorecard on mm -hmm. success. Yeah, great. Well, um, I'll give you kind of the, the theory we're working on and then a specific example. We actually call mm -hmm. what we do a balanced impact scorecard. So we look oh, at this, mm -hmm. um, you know, your noble purpose and then under your noble purpose, the four, five, four Ps being a preacher, it's good to have alliteration, but you know, <laughs> of course profit. And, and we have to have a, you know, a, a, a healthy respect for profit and mm -hmm. all of its many uses. That's the language that we use. A, a healthy respect for profit and all of its many uses. Business can't thrive without profit. 
but to understand it as a life force, as a as a, a not just a store of value, but as a source of energy for the other three Ps, planet, place, and people. So we make profit, and if and if our if our household, our economic household, is well balanced, unlike our current economy where one room at the top has all the wiring and all the plumbing, and so all the energy goes to you know it's going to it's going to fall over because it's not a mm. well balanced house. But we can build our own micro economies and hopefully eventually a larger economy that is balanced around those four capitals of people, place, planet, and profit. Um, so that's our balanced impact scorecard. And then we just sort of borrowing from um, you know the business world and the idea of a flywheel. But if you mm-hmm. if you be if you were to state for example, that we would like to be a company that's net zero by 2030. Let's just say if you stated that, whatever your company is. If you if you stated that internally, well, you'd be forced to look at the data. So you'd start digging around and you'd get your team uh, and you'd be able to say, well, that's because some of our national clients are now recording that they only want to work with um, downstream partners that are net zero or at least are mindful of their uh, scope three outputs, for example. So we're going to do that. Well, making that statement, you begin to gather the data. Gathering the data starts to build your confidence and you're starting to influence culture. And wow, you're starting to gain some confidence. You might even be able to go on a podcast and talk about how you did that. (laughs) That might pick up some some new client interest, but definitely young talent who are saying, hey, I, I have this degree, I have this interest, and I'm going to go somewhere where there's going to be an impact made. So, mm-hmm. you know, attracting new talent, enriching culture, uh, and then beginning to compete on impact, landing that national account because you can say, hey, we want to help you in your obligation to report on the impact you're making in the planet. We're a company, we're much smaller, but we want to participate with you in that you're then gathering the data, you're gaining the confidence, you're attracting people, and then you're able to uh, mm-hmm. put that energy into that virtuous cycle. That's your impact flywheel. Let me give a, a very specific example of a company uh, that is a roofing company, and they had already created you know, um, la- roofing materials are the number two landfill material in the United States, tearing old wow. roofs off and putting them in landfills at number two material. So they designed a, a fluid applied roofing. You don't have to tear the roof off. You apply this, this fluid application solution. So that in itself is an environmental, uh, environmental forward business solution. But they didn't know how to talk about it. So beginning to explore what that, well, it's white, so it reduces the temperature of the building, which lowers energy costs. Uh, it, and then they started to measure, well, if we don't tear off the roof, how much is that saving you? So they were able to package that story and go to a, a large national client and say, we know you have to report on your uh, waste and energy use. If you choose us, we can help you lower uh, and, and improve your scores and uh, at, that you're disclosing in your impact and sustainability. So they went from just 
contemplating this. And these are not folks that are, you know, granola, crunchy, green, you know, hipsters. <laughs> these are middle American people that are interested in building successful businesses, but they've begun to find that treating the mm -hmm. earth well positions them uh, in a, the, the, the economy is beginning to reward those who treat people and planet well. That's, mm. That is a, a good fact that we can all celebrate, but it's a fact that businesses, the flip side of that is that you may be at risk because you can believe that there's some other young MBA or some other young person that's figuring out how to do what you do in a way that is more enriching for people and planet. So there's a, actually a negative mm. risk for not being concerned about impact. Yeah, that was actually going to be my my next question, which is for those who are not interested in changing or growing up, <laughs> to your point, mm -hmm. uh, what what is the risk? Do you think that there's going to be detrimental impacts to businesses like that? Well, do you think there's an audience for that? Will they thrive? What, what yeah. are your thoughts? Well, I think it's it behooves us all to step back and look at the the major risk, which is um, the conditions in which l human life thrive are dependent mm. on uh, the biosphere, <laughs> life on planet Earth. And our, our current economy uh, is continuing to... Currently, we, we are, you know, there's always um, a species going extinct. There always has been. And that's called the background extinction rate but the current extinction rate is 1000 to 10000 times higher than the standard mm. background extinction rate so our current way of organizing our life on planet earth is killing life so one risk is the lights go out you know the, mm. the rocks tell a story which could be our suicide note how we fail mm. to wake up grow up and show up um, I think that's in our shared human interest to whatever your political, to depoliticize that and to recognize that as a common shared human interest. On the more pressing hmm. side, as I said, whatever, for, for example, in the built environment, 80% of the pressures on biodiversity loss come from land use and the built environment. So more and more and more if you're if you're a builder if you're a roofer if you're a painter if you aren't finding ways to do what has to be done we can't quit painting our if we didn't if we didn't preserve our assets they would deteriorate and we wouldn't be able to survive as humans we have to coat our buildings we have to preserve them someone will find out how to do that in a way that's life-giving for people and planet so if you hmm. are not one of them, maybe you're at an age range that you can ride it out and it's not going to matter. Um, but for your your 40-year-old, 35-year-old new incoming you know, CFO or other talent, they're going to value that. And so there's a risk mm -hmm. of ignoring this shift in the economy. Uh, yeah, I... Um... I really agree with you in, in, in every way there. Uh, I think that there is this tectonic shift that is happening, I think, in this world of um, the economy, of, uh, in the context of society, 
uh, businesses having a platform and influence and responsibility to those things. But I wanted to ask you one question, if I can. Yes, absolutely. Um, in, in that, in the realm of culture change, it feels to me that there is a, you know, you make a brand promise, but you also have an employer promise, so that talent mm. comes to you. And what, how do you see that uh, your work in culture change relating to that employer promise to talent? Yeah, so a uh, great question. I think, um, you know, another name for that is employee value proposition. It's probably a word that some are familiar with, um, which is what what is the experience you're going to get as you're coming into this organization, into this partnership? Uh, what are some of the things we're promising, uh, not just uh, to the people within the organization, but as a brand? What is the, the, the impact we're looking to make? And, you know, I think the perfect marriage of, employees to employer is, you know, we're working towards the same purpose, right? We have the same value system. And we're doing all of that in the context of community, which is your workforce that you've built. Mm -hmm. So this is absolutely crucial. Uh, I, I was just recently working with a client, actually, because we work on before we do any of our culture assessment work, we get the executive team together and we develop if they don't have a purpose statement, the kind of why do we exist? Right. It's the very first thing we do because right. your value system has to align to that. Mm. How we're showing up within the organization, outside of the organization needs to connect back to that. And to your point that the storytelling behind that is just a very human way of communicating. <laughs> like this is a part of the human condition. So it's, it's crucial in, in culture and culture change work. Awesome. Yeah. So it's that purpose that ultimately uh, infects the culture that yes. people want to be part of. They want, they want to keep, they want to go to work every day at a place that is, uh, contributing to that purpose. And so a business that's owning that purpose is beginning that, that talent attraction process. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved our conversation and would love for you to just to tell everybody where they can find you, uh, if they're interested in working with you or, or connecting. Yeah, cool. Well, just come to our website at justcapitalquotient.com. Um, there's a, I, I have, I re, I speak to anybody that, that um, wants to sign up, take uh, 15 or 30 minutes uh, to chat on mm -hmm. Zoom. And I've um, really found that a very enriching process. So come to uh, our, our uh, website, justcapitalquotient.com. We also, um, for you listeners, I, the, the idea of moving from charity, I find a lot of business leaders, they, oh, if I get to a certain point, then I'll get involved in a charity. Mm -hmm. And I think in the exactly the opposite way. I did that for 30 years. You're the one that are changing the world. You're the one that are giving people jobs on a horizon of mm -hmm. career and hope. You, you're the entrepreneurs figuring out how to build a new world. Uh, I think we need to think beyond charity. So I put together a little... 15 minute little, little teaching piece on beyond charity. And so I'd like to make that as a, as a gift for folks. So come to justcapitalquotient.com uh, slash gift and see this little idea about how you don't need to think in terms of charity necessarily and go beyond charity into the very substance of your business to find the mm. real and sustainable impact. So love to share that. And, and you can also uh, find there a uh, connect with me button and uh, we, could, we could have a chat so and that also includes if you you know if you have a business again we don't have all kinds of money to be throwing around <laughs> but we do like to hear 
uh, pitches from from businesses that uh, are trying to solve some of these social and environmental challenges. So. Angela, I'm glad to be in your network and um, be a part of, of what you're doing to help us build this new economy. Thank you so much, Don. We will make sure to include all of those links in our show notes so folks can listen, but also click. Uh, Don, thank you so much for My being pleasure. on the, the podcast.